Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars, make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. All right. Do you think that some of the lockdowns that we have put in place in Wisconsin were a bit unreasonable? Well, how would you like to be Hawaii? Now, Hawaii depends a lot on tourist travel and things like that. And Hawaii has made a pretty clear point of saying, you know what? We do not want people coming to Hawaii from the mainland or anywhere else in the world. It's, it's one of the most, well, I, you would use the word draconian sort of restrictions. But here's the deal. If you were thinking about going to Hawaii anytime soon, even if you can get on a plane to get there, my advice would be don't. Because here is the deal. Anybody coming into Hawaii right now, Here's what has to happen. First, when you get to the airport, so let's say you're flying into Oahu, which is the the main island. That's where Waikiki is or whatever. Here's what happens. As soon as you land, this is the deal. First, as you get off the plane, you are given a temperature check, and those shown to have elevated temperatures are then kicked over to paramedics who are stationed at the airport. Assuming you do not have an elevated temperature, what you have to do is provide a declaration that lists your name, your mobile phone number, and your hotel information. You have to give it to airport personnel who then verify that the details are accurate. They will call your cell phone number while you're standing there to make sure it rings. They will contact the hotel that you're staying at to make sure that you have a reservation. All right, so you might say, okay, what happens if the cell phone doesn't ring or you call the hotel and the hotel says we don't have your reservation? If if that happens, you are sent home. You are sent home. You are not allowed to leave the airport. Or if you refuse to comply, I'm not giving you my cell phone information. I'm not telling you what hotel I'm staying at. You are handed over to law enforcement right there. All right. Now, you might say, really? Is this really what happens? And the answer is yes. It's apparently happened several times, they say. And then a law enforcement officer stays at the gate and then watches you get back on a flight to the city where you came from. All right, then on top of that, here's what happens. Passengers must sign a legal document acknowledging that they will abide by a 14-day quarantine before they leave the airport. You might say, okay, Jeff, well, how exactly does that work? Well, here, here's the, the deal. It is a quarantine. And the hotels, this is what the hotels do. You know, normally when you get a hotel nowadays, you have, you have the room keys that you insert. And it's when you, when you go and you check into the hotel, you're going to be staying there for two or three days. And what they do is they run this through a key card and your, your key is good for two or three days. It's not like the old days where they give you a physical key. And then after you're supposed to check out, the key no longer works. 
Okay, so what these keys are that they're giving people is apparently single-use keys. Single-use keys. So you get the key. You go into your hotel room. You use it to get in. It's not good anymore. If you leave your hotel room, what you have to do is go down to the desk and get a new key. And you have to explain and justify to the the checkout person, the person at the desk, why it is that you left your room. Now, you can order room service in, but you can't go to the pool, you can't go to the bars, you can't do anything. You You are essentially a prisoner in your hotel room. And Hawaii says, well, ever since we implemented this rule, well, our, you know, people aren't coming here. And we don't want people coming here because we're trying to eradicate, you know, coronavirus. And, and actually, outside of the state of Montana, in Hawaii, the number of cases of coronavirus that they have have decreased dramatically because you don't have anybody coming in at all. Whether or not you could do that in any other state might be a bit difficult. But what Hawaii has decided to do is they've decided to go after outside visitors. We don't want people coming in. And candidly, if you had a honeymoon planned for Hawaii, it might be one of those occasions where you decide, I want to rethink it. All right. Uh, One of the unfortunate side effects, of course, of the coronavirus, in addition to people getting sick, has been lots and lots of people losing their job. You know, they estimate that um, in Wisconsin, there are, well, several, they they had two million weekly claims um, that have been filed for people who have lost their job as a result of, of what's been, you know, going on. They estimate maybe half a million people total have lost their jobs. So it's a, it's a very, very difficult situation. There's no question about it. And people have been applying for unemployment. What's happened is the number of claims that they've gotten has been so extraordinary that it has completely and totally overwhelmed the system. And by the point of overwhelmed, I mean that so far, there's still, they've said they've paid out about 1.4 million claims, but there's still over half a million, matter of fact, probably closer to 700,000 unemployment claims that remain unpaid. And the big key is if there's any sort of question at all about eligibility, once you get stuck on that track, it's very, very difficult to get the whole situation resolved. So, I mean, if everything goes smoothly, it's fine. But if there's any sort of question at all, even about, like, maybe your first week of unemployment, then you're, you're in this kind of morass, and you call and you call and you call, and, and nobody answers the phone, or you get hung up on, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the state has started adding people, and they've started extending the hours in an effort to deal with the crunch. And they have, of course, been completely overwhelmed. But that doesn't mean anything to the people who are depending on this income to try to help them get over the current crisis. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want to take your temperature, no pun intended here. If you are one of the people who have been dealing with the unemployment system, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. I've heard from a lot of people since then. Is it getting better? Has it continued to be a nightmare? How have how frustrating is it? And how much of a problem is this? So if you've been stuck in the state's unemployment system, um, what's going on? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it getting better? 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's no question the state of Wisconsin, the unemployment division was overwhelmed when you had all these people that were immediately thrown out of work. The question is, did they adapt well enough? Here's a couple texts before we go to the phone lines. Jeff, I have been waiting since the beginning of this mess. I have received nothing. The state waited way too long to react to the unemployment situation. They should have manned the phones longer than going home at 3.30, then waiting two months to add phones. Jeff, my brother-in-law has been laid off for six weeks. He made the mistake of filing online. He hasn't been able to get a hold of anyone since then. Um, Jeff, I'm in the same status as a couple weeks ago. Um, have yet to see the stimulus check or any unemployment checks. Sounds like the state is starting to ramp up, but it's been eight weeks. Been eight weeks. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see. Let's start with Sean in Oak Creek. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay. How bad has this been Uh, for you? It's been, I mean, a nightmare after nightmare with them. I uh, was furloughed uh, when this all got started. Um, so I had to go through my company to try to get it all set up, get the, the right status of, on it, of employment through my employer so the state would recognize that. After I applied, though, um, there was these determinations that they needed to make about um, why I had left a previous job and if I had actually started this new job. So they sent out the, um, the form to get it all set up. Right. And I sent that back in, and now it's just been under review for about six weeks now. You see that that that's what I'm hearing for the people that it just that that there weren't any questions at all about that they at least had a chance. But for anybody who there there was any sort of question at all, you, you the idea is you kind of it sounds to me like you almost kind of go into this limbo, and it's almost impossible to kind of get out of that limbo once you're there. Right. And, you know, when I left my last job to go to this new job, and then obviously everything happened, it was all above board. It's not like I was trying to cheat the system yeah. or anything, but this the review process um, is, I don't know how involved it is, but it's to the point where it doesn't seem like they're looking at it. And I'll, if I give them a call, I'll either um, get a, this number can't handle the, the number of incoming right. calls or whatever it may be, or it'll ring and ring and ring, and then it'll just disconnect after a certain yeah. period of time. <laughs> No, th- thanks for the call, Sean. I mean, it, it's you. There are for it doesn't help you, but because you're in a very, very leaky boat. But there's a lot of people that are in that same sort of situation. Again, we're you know trying to get a hold of an actual person or trying to get a call back. It, it's just not happening. And you get the phone that rings and rings and rings and rings and rings. And I'm hearing that from a lot of people. And then what happens? It just disconnects. You know, it's just it's kind of like all right, you can keep calling, but it's not going to make any difference because there's nobody there to answer. Jeff, my husband has been applying for unemployment benefits since March. We have no income. I'm self-employed and my business depends on travel, so I've also been out of work. We are behind in all our bills and as child support continues to not get paid as well, we cannot get a hold of anyone anywhere. Um, Let's see, Jeff, I received my unemployment check within a week. That being said, I was only furloughed and I really didn't need it as badly as others were. Um, let's see, um, um, Jeff, I haven't gotten a penny. I have called over 7,000 times. 
I am keeping track of this. Well, yeah, I think there's um, something like that has been going on as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, it, again, I, I understand the delay in the beginning because what happened is the system got, got overwhelmed. But the fault was I don't think that the people in Madison reacted quickly enough. And, I mean, I think there are fair questions. Just like, for example, I'll use an analogy, just like in in the election in April in Milwaukee, when they knew the election was going to occur and they knew that there was going to be a problem with the poll workers not showing up, that the city of Milwaukee could have gone one of two ways. They could have said, all right, we need to be really proactive here. We need to recognize that we got to figure out ways to find more poll workers so we can open up more than five polling spots. So maybe that means we, we take... Some of our, our city employees who are, are furloughed or who are you know working at home or whatever, and, and let's get them in, let's get them out to the polls. Let's be proactive about this. Well, and so the city wasn't, and it ended up being a disaster with only five poll worker, poll, polling places that were open because they didn't do anything. Same thing, I think, is a fair criticism of what was going on with the state of Wisconsin. When you saw that they were going to be overwhelmed, why didn't you immediately start drafting all these other state workers who were being paid but weren't working? And, and again, I don't, I'm not faulting the here. We're, we're going to shut down these different state offices, and we're going to shut send people to, at home and all. But you know, they, you had ready-made pools of talent and bodies that you could have gotten in right away, and you could have started training. And they ended up not doing that. And the result is now that you've got you know 675,000 people who still, still two months into this, don't have their unemployment claims uh, that are there. So that's it. Uh, Jeff, they said Uber drivers were eligible. I applied. It's been eight weeks. I haven't gotten a response, and I can't get a hold of anybody. You know, that's that's the whole aspect that's going on there, too, that, you know, you call and you call and you call, and you can't even get a response back. And I think it's kind of fair to say what's been going on here, and how can you expect people who have been out of work for all this period of time to, to not have the money. If the whole idea behind, for example, the, the federal stimulus was, you know, we need to get people through this, so we got to get them their $600. But what about the basic unemployment? Mike in Hartford. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, I'm another one of those Uber drivers. I've been doing this for four years, and I applied back on March 27th, and I now have nine weeks sitting under review. I have been uh, prompted by email three times to send in income documentation, tax returns, 1099s. I've sent in everything they asked for. And out of the sky blue, I got a check one day for $40, direct deposited. I have no idea what it's for. doesn't really hook up with any of the math. And uh, since then, I've just been sitting under review, under review, under review. I certify every week and received absolutely nothing and and how um, how long has this been going on i'm sorry you said at the beginning but how long has it been going on uh, march 27th i started the application process and after wow. about five weeks of waiting i got this bizarre amount of money forty dollars with no explanation as to what it was okay and i have no money since then, since then. <laughs> nothing well uh, no, nope. well, th- nope. th- thanks for call. Well, the, don't worry that the state is on top of this. Pat in Germantown. Pat, you're on WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. I just Hi, wanted Jeff. to tell you that there is hope out there. Um, my daughter applied um, two months ago, and she finally got her check yesterday. Okay. The well, did, did she? Check. Was there any? Um, had she been having correspondence with? Was there a problem? Was there questions? Did she need to send in more documents, or was her a pretty straightforward thing? Uh, she she called. You know, she calls forever. And um, at one point, they said that she was in school. Well, she hadn't been in school for 20 years, so maybe that was the problem. I know. <laughs> she is so grateful. I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. To get, <laughs> yeah. To get the job, oh, that's fine. It, you know, things have to be funny, I guess. Now, um, she was so happy to get it, and she hasn't got the stimulus check, but at least she's got this, and she's real grateful, and I thought I'd, you know, give other yeah. people a little bit of hope. No, good enough. Thanks, Nicole. So keep you know keep waiting and, and be persistent. And of course, that's that that's the frustration that, that's there. And again, I, that's why I started off this segment by acknowledging that at least in the beginning, that the state it, they were overwhelmed by the enormous number of 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 filings that they had. So you can understand that there's a bit of a delay. But what's unacceptable is when these bits of delays turn into weeks and then turn into months, and then people can't get any sort of updates. And I think that's kind of the frustrating thing, too. Your case is under review. Okay, then you try to call. You can't get through at all. You file online. You can't get any information. Then our previous caller says, then all of a sudden, after five weeks, I get a $40 check that I have no idea what this is, no explanation. just put it in my account. And then, you know, not hearing anything. Jeff, uh, let's see a text. Wisconsin unemployment system is terrible. Seven weeks of absolutely nothing. No payments, no one to answer the phone. It rings endlessly, and then it eventually cuts you off. How incredibly frustrating. Um, Jeff, um, I was... I was laid off March 16th. I filed two days later. I began receiving payments mid-April. Then, for some reason, they disqualified me for March. Haven't gotten a response from anyone. They won't respond me for why that I ended up doing this. I mean, for goodness sakes here. Um, just, Just saying, you know, I know the, May, I know the governor says we're, we're all kind of in this together, well, that, that's exactly that's not exactly true. Like I say, some people are in the shallow end; it's an inconvenience. Some people are in the deep end. You know, they're they're just kind of dog paddling for their life. You know, maybe the state needs to kind of prioritize some of those people who are dog paddling in the deep end. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It is an absolutely beautiful day out there, and I tell you, after the last couple of days, Noah getting ready to build his boat, it's, um, it, it is about time. Hope you have an opportunity to get out and enjoy some of the sunshine. And there, there, there was a point in time where if you looked at a weather map of the United States yesterday or two days ago, and you saw the temperature and you saw the rain and stuff, you can make a strong argument that we in Wisconsin, or at least particularly in southeastern Wisconsin, we had that. We had the worst weather. <laughs> we we had the worst weather of anywhere in the country. You know, no question about that at all. All right. So here here is the deal. More and more people have gone to a cashless society. Right. We, we've gone into a situation where you know people are, are using credit cards on a, a regular basis. All right. Well, for for people who've gone to that sort of notion of the cashless society. 
we they, they resist the whole idea of paying cash. Then there's people like me who are dinosaurs who, you know, I use credit cards. I have no problem with it, but there's a lot of transactions that I just, I simply pay cash for. And I think there's a lot of times, for example, that the people prefer having me pay cash for the different transactions that I do. So I, I balance that out. I'm also, for small transactions, I, I typically do not use the credit card because I know that the the, the merchant especially if you're talking about a small business or a restaurant or whatever, the, the merchant, they, they've got to pay a fee if I use the credit card, so that's money away from their in their bottom line. So I, I balance this out. Large purchases, absolutely. I appreciate there's the convenience of the credit cards. You get points that you can use for different stuff, but, but at the same time, I think you need to have that kind of balancing. So I end up doing both. And generally speaking, when I pay cash, I find that, that, that people kind of like that. All right, we live in a different world, though. Of course, now, in the era of, of COVID-19 and in the era of people going into stores and wearing masks and things of, of the like, paying cash and getting change involves the, the exchange. You have to reach into your pocket. You have to go into your wallet or pull, go in your pocket. You have to pull out the cash. You have to give the cash to the other person. The person then has to take the cash that you have handled and then put it in the drawer and, in many cases, kind of make change and give you that, that money back. And there is at least the possibility that there might be some sort of physical contact when your hand touches theirs, when you're giving them a cash, or when they're giving you your change. So th- there's, there is that possibility. Now, I bring this up because there's a big story in the L.A. Times today about how more and more people are becoming uncomfortable not as a matter of choice, but they are becoming uncomfortable paying with cash, period, because they are concerned that, gee, this might be a way that we are going to promote uh, the, the, the passage of this illness. Now, public officials and health experts say that the risk of transferring coronavirus from person to person through the use of money is extremely minimal. All right, it's it's... It's not something that's, you know, in the top 20 or 50 lists of how you're going to catch this. You know, a brief exchange of money is not going to be one of them. But nevertheless, you know, we're in an era now where people are, again, very, very hyper-conscious of this. So let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question for you. Have you become reluctant to pay for stuff with cash because you don't want to get the change back. If somebody gives you cash in a transaction, are you reluctant to take it? Would you prefer that we go now to a completely cashless society because, you know, you don't want to be handling that quote-unquote dirty money that other people, you know, handled before? And this is interesting because typically in times of crisis, what you see is people tend to go to cash. They like to have a huge cash reserve lined up so, you know, they don't have to worry about, hey, if something happens, you know, with the banking system or whatever. But now it's almost like the opposite. So 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I confess, I, I still use cash. I went to the pharmacy yesterday. Uh, I, I ended up, my, my prescriptions after insurance cost me like 7 bucks. I gave I gave the gal at the counter. I gave her a 10. She gave me the, the change. I, I used cash instead of charging a transaction for seven dollars i do things like that all right 
Are people or should people be uncomfortable with that? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me give Gruen in the studio a chance to line up the calls. Back to discuss in just a moment. Are you uncomfortable handling cash in a COVID-19 world? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a text, Jeff. What's the difference if you're touching the money when you're paying for the transaction or touching the keypad and the signature pen for your credit card that you just used? Um, well, that's, I mean, that that is kind of the reality there. Jeff, I'm still using cash, but I'm letting them keep the change, not because I care about the virus, but so they'll get the tip for working through this. Um, Jeff, I always have at least $100 in cash on me. It's quicker. Nine times out of ten, I can check out faster, especially at the self-checkout. No pin number or code to memorize. Plus, I can leave a tip and know the person actually gets it. Jeff, I, use, I love using cash as much as I can. I love getting the change and throwing in a jar it's an easy way to save extra money virus hasn't slowed me down using it at all i you know and and it, it hasn't stopped me either although i do acknowledge that in the back of my mind when i'm paying for cash like i typically do i'm sitting there thinking gee i, I wonder if this person thinks that by having to handle the the dirty money that i i have handled that they're more likely to get sick 855-616-1620 dana in milwaukee dana you're on wtmj Hi. I just I did. did this for the first time last night, and I have to admit, it completely creeped me out. I had to buy a very small purchase at Walgreens. It was $1.57, and I thought, I cannot put this on my charge. I handed her a $10 bill, and when she gave me the change back, I was shopping with gloves on. I stuck it in my wallet, and it's like, I'm not taking that out for a week. I just don't even <laughs> want to touch that money. I'm completely freaked out by it. I've been using plastic. I use plastic most of the time anyhow, but I've been using it this entire time exclusively. Right. Now, just, just if, it, if it makes your, if it gives you any sort of solace, at least health experts say, again, the risk of the virus being transferred person to person through the use of money is, is minimal. But, but even though they say that, you're still at the point where you say, I just, I just don't want to make the chance. You know, we're, we're not shaking hands, so this is kind of like, it's almost kind of like shaking hands because, you know, they're touching the same thing I'm touching. So, so you were hesitant. But the whole thing is that they keep saying that it, it lives long on paper and it lives long on cardboard. That's why it freaks me out. Yeah. No, I understand. So, no, thanks I for know. Paul. I appreciate it. No. No, no, there's no right or – thanks for calling in. I mean, there's, there's no right or wrong. I'm, I'm actually, again, taking people's temperature on, on on this. I mean, one of the things that I do, and it's not specifically related just to the cash thing, but after I come out of a store where I've, you know, purchased something or touched things or whatever, first thing I do is I reach for that hand sanitizer that I have in my pocket, and I, I you know, just – to scrub down my hands really quickly because you know you're, you're touching things, you're coming into contact, and I'm I'm working on trying not to touch my face, but you know we we, we do that. That's kind of habits that we all have. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. David in Toma. David, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff. You know, my family has a farmers uh, market, and uh, we'll be opening up in about a couple months, and this will be on everybody's mind even then. Um, but we handle a lot of cash, and I know personally we won't have a problem handling it. It's uh, just the nature of the business, and there's germs everywhere. So uh, right. just hand sanitize, and uh, I don't think there's any reason to be afraid. 
Do you take credit cards at, at the business, at like the at the food stands and stuff? Do you take credit cards? Yes, we do take credit cards, but I actually prefer to handle, um, say, check or cash, just because I don't have to worry about messing up the credit card machine or you right. know there being a delay out. So it's right. much simpler, yeah. and especially when you're selling in town at farmers markets, you know it's unreasonable to have a credit card machine. Um, down there at the farmers markets in town, away from the main business right. itself. Right. Good enough. Well, thanks for call, David. Yeah, and I think I mean, th- I mean, see, that's why there there is always going to be a place for for cash. You know, we've talked about this on the program in in kind of different contexts before, because there there's. For example, the city of Milwaukee either has or is in the process of passing an ordinance which would require businesses to accept cash. Now, I, I'm not a fan of that because I think businesses should have the right to choose if they want to you know, accept cash or credit cards, etc. I think that that should be a decision that the business should be entitled to make, and government doesn't have a right to make that decision for them. Now, that's from the perspective of somebody who pays for stuff with cash. So... I might be less inclined to patronize a business that, that you know, wouldn't allow me to, to pay cash. But nevertheless, I think it's the business's right. This is kind of the flip side of that is that, you know, are people going to be uncomfortable with you continuing to use cash? And, again, I'm still using cash, but I do admit that this is one of the things in, in the back of my mind where, I, I mean, you're, again, you're, you, you give the person the money. And then they make the change, and so you're touching those same bills. And you know when they put the change, and sometimes what they do is they they give you the they give you the change. You know they put it in your hand, and maybe there's some contact and stuff like that. I'm not at the point where I refuse to do that, but I do. I acknowledge use that that hand sanitizer. Paul in West Dallas. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Yes, the sanitizer, of course, is the key. If uh, when using a credit card or entering PIN numbers, but I, I love cash. And a lot of the times, in these times, I'm leaving the the, the cash without expecting change, just leaving the tip right. for the vendor. Right. And it makes it a lot right. easier and eases your mind a bit. A bit. Right, and just right, and just and kind of just just rolls with it. No, you know, no. Thanks for the call. You Correct. know, it's, it's funny when I, I, I you know I went um, the the other day. I, I told I, I went to a, a small jewelry store because my wife had gotten me a watch for my birthday, and I needed a new watch band for one of my other watches. And it was kind of funny because it, it came to. What, what, with, with tax, it came to like twenty dollars and ten cents, and so twenty one dollars and ten cents, and so I, I gave him twenty one. He said, "Forget it. That, that's okay. We'll you know, do it." And I said, "Well, you know, I, I can give you twenty two, and we can round up." He said, "No, no. Next time you're here, we'll, we'll round up." But yeah, we, we didn't want to fool with the exchange of of the change there, Jeff. I'm totally comfortable with using cash. I'm not going to pay for an item that is five dollars or less. I'm not going to use a credit card if. That's um, Jeff. Small businesses rely on cash due to no fees, right? That's that's exactly the whole the whole point. That I mean, it's you know for for the small purchases. If you're in that small convenience store, you know the privately owned convenience store, and and you buy four bucks worth of stuff, you buy a soda and a candy bar and a bag of chips or whatever that is, and you charge it on the credit card. You know they're they're going to be paying a fee, and their margins aren't that great to begin with. Um, Jeff, I use cash every day, but ask first if they are comfortable with cash. So far, I've gotten all yeses. Um, I should add, though, my girlfriend owns a hair salon, and they just implemented a no-cash policy. Interesting that they're doing that at a hair salon. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
And this is Jeff Wagner. We all know the words. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. Bob Euchre calls another Brewers classic as we turn the clock back to 1992 with the Brewers against the Cleveland Indians and Robin Yount collecting his 3,000th hit. Tune in Wednesday at 6 o'clock. Wednesday, that is tonight. Tune in this evening, 6 o'clock. We are one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Brewers Classic is sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc., Marco Technologies, Winnegar Compressor, All Right Home and Remodeling, Great Midwest Bank, and Dave Drakamp Heating. You know, it's it's interesting. On Yesterday on our, our WTMJ Cares, the, the town hall thing, you know, Rick Schlesinger, who is the CEO of the Brewers, you know, was talking about how they, they hope to be playing an 82-game season, and they're, they're looking at, you know, all the different contingencies that they can have. Nobody wants baseball back more than me. I mean, you know, and, and even even if it's a situation where you're playing baseball in front of almost empty stadiums, I, I'm still... You know, a summer without baseball is just tough to imagine. There are, however, all these different obstacles that are out there, and you just kind of wonder how they're going to be able to deal with the the logistics of this. I mean, the the first thing is, right, how how do you actually play the game where you you know that there's going to be contact between people? I mean, it's not like a it's not like football necessarily or basketball, but you're still you got the first baseman that's holding the runners on. You know you got tags. There, there's going to be interaction. There's going to be contact, but between the various people, then you've got the whole issue with with the travel that's around, and you've got different states that have different rules with regard to you know how many people can be in co- in contact with each other and stuff. And, and there is going to be that that nature of travel that's there. And then perhaps aside from the money and, and working out the money, and we've talked about this before, working out the money is going to be really, really difficult because you have some baseball players who are saying, we don't want to pay play for what the owners are, are offering. And, you know, maybe they're right, you know, maybe they're, they're wrong, but there's that huge money issue that's there. But then there's the other question about what happens if, when inevitably, somebody tests positive for, for the virus. Because you, you know that, that that's going to happen. You know that there's going to be a point, no matter how, what sort of precautions you take, there's going to be a situation because, you know, you're not going to lock people up and the players up in a prison type setting. You understand and you have to realize that there's going to be some situation where, despite your best efforts, some player has come into contact with somebody and has picked up the disease. That That's just the virus. That's just going to be the reality. So then the question becomes, all right, what is what is your plan B? What are you going to end up doing when that inevitably happens? Do you quarantine that player? Do you quarantine the whole team? Do you cancel, you know, games involving that team for a week? And, again, I, I don't have the answer to that. I leave that to people who are, you know, a lot smarter than me to figure it out. I'm just saying that it, it's it's a daunting dynamic to try to figure out, you know, how you can resume the, these games while we're still trying to get through the coronavirus pandemic. So it's a, an issue that is clearly out there. You hope that they can work it out. And then, of course, you have some of these other questions. Um, for example, keep in mind, Major League Baseball, you know, they, they, there's, a, there's a baseball team in Toronto. And if you haven't been following this, the, the borders between Canada and the United States, they, they have been closed. 
to all but essential travel. They allow goods to come back and forth, but otherwise, you know, people aren't allowed to travel back and forth. So, I mean, how, how do you do that? They just announced yesterday that the governments of Canada, the U.S., and Mexico have all agreed that they will maintain the border closures for at least another month. So, all right, how do you... What, what do you do with the Toronto team? Do they do other teams play home games, but you don't allow people to go to Toronto? What about New York State? You know, New York City has much different rules than other places. How do you deal with all this? I want to see baseball come back, and it's up to me. I'd love to see baseball back yesterday. But how they work all through all these things in the time they have, don't know. All right, when we come back, Tom Barrett says fire him, and President Trump says not so fast on more dough. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Tom Barrett says the Fire and Police Commission and the police chief should fire this officer. What are they waiting for? He may have a point, but let's back up here. One of the things I know over the years that has frustrated a lot of the taxpayers in the area is the fact that you have Milwaukee police officers who have been accused of wrongdoing, and then what's happened is they've been able to stay on the police force. They're suspended, but they've been able to stay on the police force and continue to draw their salaries until such a time as ultimately a decision is made to, to fire them. And sometimes that decision, it, it can take six months, it can take a year, it can take two years, and all the while the person is continuing to draw their salary. Now the flip side of this is you, you want to make sure that somebody who is accused of wrongdoing has the right to due process. You, you don't want to just say, hey, somebody said that you did something wrong, boom, we're, we're going to fire you. And, and so police officers have the right to a degree of due process. The problem, of course, occurs when it takes forever, month after month after month, to make a decision, which brings us to the story of a 13-year-old, 13-year-old, 13-year veteran of the Milwaukee Police Department named Michael Matoli. Now, you, you perhaps have been following this story. He has now been accused and charged with first-degree reckless homicide in connection with the, the death of a friend of his named Joel Acevedo. This occurred, okay, back in in April. The officer has been suspended but continues to draw a check. Here's what the the government, the state, alleges happened here. And there's a six-page complaint. According to the complaint, there was a fight between these two guys, the police officer and, and his friend, Acevedo. It occurred after a night of drinking among the, between the two of them and a couple other people at the police officer's house. He told police, okay, after this all happened, the cop tells police that he awoke to find Acevedo, that's the guy who ends up dead, going through the pockets of the pants that he was wearing. Acevedo was told to leave, but then he punched another person, which, according to the police officer, led to Matoli restraining him. The police officer, Matoli, He's off duty at the time, of course. Told police he had met Acevedo while working overtime in downtown Milwaukee. Acevedo worked as a security guard in the area so they would run into each other. 
while holding Acevedo, that is the guy that ends up dead, down, Matoli phone 911. The 911 call, you can apparently hear gasping noises, distressed breathing, and loud snorting over the phone as Matoli, the off-duty cop, struggled to communicate with dispatchers while also restraining Acevedo. You were my friend, Matoli could be here saying between curses. Another person then takes the phone and told dispatchers that a man was attacking them. When police arrived, they found Acevedo lying face down in the kitchen with Matoli straddling him, one arm wrapped around his neck and the other holding his head still. Matoli, that's the off-duty cop, told police he held Acevedo on the ground while placing the 911 call at 7.28 a.m. and stayed on top of him until officers intervened about 10 minutes later. So he's got him in a chokehold, and he keeps him in the chokehold for at least 10 minutes, maybe more. Acevedo died almost a week later. Um, In interviews with investigators, the off-duty cop, Matoli, asked them at least twice what was so bad about what happened. When informed about Acevedo's critical injuries, the off-duty cop responded once saying, well, blank him. He stole from me. I don't give a blank what shape he's in, according to the complaint. He also told investigators he knew chokeholds could be deadly, but he didn't believe he applied enough pressure to his neck. I didn't squeeze him as hard as I could because, well, I know I'm not stupid. I know what deadly force is and what it's not. Um, In a second interview, um, he said that uh, said the, the investigator said, well, you know, you're, you're not really supposed to use chokeholds. And the off-duty cop said, well, it's train technique. Um, I, I, th- yeah, I guess it's not a train technique. Okay, so what happens is guys now been charged, facing criminal charges, will go through the criminal process. This matter has been the subject of an investigation by the Milwaukee Police Department. The mayor obviously believes that they are dragging their feet on this. He has now gone public, and he says, look, I think this guy should be fired. If it turns out he didn't do anything wrong, he can always be reinstated, and he can give, be given back pay. The Fire and Police Commission has now pulled the investigation from the police department and they say that we want to conduct the investigation on on our own meanwhile again he continues to get his paycheck 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line mayor is saying we know enough right now what should happen is he should be fired like I say, if it turns out that we've got this whole thing wrong, well, he can always be reinstated and he should get back pay. But we have enough information now to know that this officer should not be on the force. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is the mayor overreaching here or does he have a, a legitimate point? Again, one of the big problems that we've had in Milwaukee over the years is you have had police officers who have engaged in misconduct that have stayed on the payroll seemingly forever until their cases wound their way through the criminal courts in this particular situation the facts appear to be uncontroverted now whether or not this is sufficient to you know justify a criminal charge beyond a reasonable doubt that's one story i mean that that's something that ultimately you know a jury is going to have to decide but at the same time, you, to, to, for example, dismiss a police officer for misconduct, you, you don't have to necessarily wait until they're, they're convicted of a crime. I guess the question is, is this behavior, getting into a fight and then, you know, essentially strangling somebody 
for a period of time, is that sufficient, or do you think it should be efficient, to sufficient to fire somebody from the police department? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. Should the cop be let go? Do you think that this is, should be grounds for discharge? And let's assume, let's assume that things are as... Let's look at it in light most favorable to the off-duty police officer. He and a bunch of guys, they're, they're drinking. Next morning, they, they get into an altercation. There's a fight. He puts the guy in a chokehold, keeps him in the chokehold for at least 10 minutes. Guy ends up dead. Is that Should that be a basis for firing a police officer? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Twyla in Milwaukee. Twyla, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you? Hi. I am well, thank you. Okay, what should happen to this uh, off-duty police officer? Uh, The off-duty police officer, for one, you mentioned off-duty, so off is off no matter where you look at it where you hear it off is off and then for him to continue to choke the guy after 10 minutes i consider that to be excessive force or restraint so they call it so to me restraint and excessive are two totally different words with two totally different meanings so if you ask me he should absolutely be fired without a question what if he says, what if he says, look, th- this guy was attacking me. He started this fight. Um, I was just, I was protecting myself. I was just restraining him. I, I uh, it was I'm like sorry. self-defense. No, I did. I mean, what if he argues it's self-defense? self-defense? I don't think it would be considered self-defense if he's an armed guard, if he's a police officer. He's been trained properly yeah. on how to protect and conduct himself versus a civilian that knows absolutely nothing about being a police officer nor having a gun on his hip. So Got it. whether you're off okay. duty or not, you're still entitled to have that gun and have that authority. So I feel like he should be fired. I mean, it was excessive. Good. Well, thanks. No, there was no question. No, I, no, no, I appreciate that. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking for people's opinions and how you how you feel about this. Now, I'm getting a number of texts that are saying they, they shouldn't do anything until you find out whether or not let, let the criminal justice system work let let he's been charged with a crime let 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 that play out because what if he's found not guilty well see that's what they have done a lot of times in the past they, they've simply said okay let's sit back and we'll continue to pay a police officer and then and, and maybe it goes to trial in six months maybe it goes to trial in a year maybe it goes to trial in two years meanwhile the officer still collects their money while that's going on see that's where the issue is and here is the one thing that people need to recognize and remember that there, there's there, there's the criminal standard of like beyond a reasonable doubt are we going to say somebody is a felon and take away their liberty and put them in jail that's something that the criminal justice system decides all right workplaces have all sorts of different rules i mean for example your workplace my guess is that they have all sorts of different rules, and committing a crime is one that can get you fired. But there's probably all sorts of other things that you could do short of actually committing a crime, which would be a basis to fire you. So the city of Milwaukee doesn't have to wait 
until somebody you know actually is convicted. The city of Milwaukee could go in and say, look, we, we don't care what the criminal justice system does. We don't care if ultimately some jury decides this is self-defense or whatever. We, looking at the facts, we believe that the conduct was improper, and we believe that it was a basis for termination because, you know, this – this behavior, whether it rises to the level of you know manslaughter or whatever the, the charge is, we just don't think that this is the proper behavior to engage in. And so we're going to fire him. And we're, we're not going to pay him regardless of what happens. And if he thinks he's been wrongfully discharged, he can sue us. And that's what Tom Barrett is saying. Tom Barrett is saying, look, based on what's going on here, I, I think the chief should be firing him now. We shouldn't be waiting. And, again, the Fire and Police Commission has taken the unprecedented, I believe, step of taking the investigation away from the police and saying, we're going to do this ourselves. 855-616-1620. Scott in Germantown. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, well, the man was off duty and he's protecting himself, so he can do what he wants to do without using a deadly weapon. You know, he's using hand force, which anybody can be different than anybody. It depends on who you are, how big you are, any kind of training you've had. And, you know, uh, if Mayor Bayer wants to fire the guy, the guy's probably hoping he does fire him because I guarantee in a court of law he's going to win. Well, thanks for calling, Scott. I, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on that. And I guess, I mean, time will, time will tell. But you know, you, when, when you say that you can use, I mean, the state of the law, without going too deep into the weeds, is you, you have you have the right to use reasonable force to protect yourself against the threat. But then at the same time, you know, once that that threat goes away, you you have to to stop. So, I mean, for for example, let, let's take. Let's just take the choking situation. Maybe, you know, somebody's coming at you, so, you know, you, you restrain them, all right? You're, you know, you're, you're holding them. Well, that doesn't necessarily give you the right to choke the person to death. I mean, it gives you the right to, all right, I'm, I'm holding them down because I'm waiting for the police, but it doesn't give you the right to use your bare hands and kill somebody. Now, I, maybe somebody's going to ultimately decide that he's justified in doing that. I will tell you, I, I listen to the, these facts, and you hear the descriptions of the 911 calls, and I, I, the, the idea of anybody, whether it's an off-duty police officer or whether it's you or whether it's me, uh, essentially putting somebody in a chokehold and holding that chokehold on them for 10 or 12 minutes or whatever that is, and then you know not, not caring necessarily about, oh, yeah, they, they had stopped struggling and they were foaming from the mouth or whatever, I, I think th- that's, that's going to be a tough sell in front of a jury on self-defense, but I'm not prejudging that. I do think if you look at something like this, that the the fair complaint that I think the mayor has is, why does this take so long? We, we, we know what the facts are. The officers made statements. The off-duty officer has acknowledged what happened. And, you know, once we have his statements, let, let's look at this. It's not like you need an extensive investigation for the next couple months. You know what happened. This is one where, okay, you can draw your own interpretation from the facts, but you know what happened here. It's, it's not... It's not a who done it. You know what had happened. So I guess I look at this, and I, I think the mayor, if not being correct to call for the guy being fired, has every right to say, "Look, we need to make this thing happen." You know, we, there's no reason to delay this particular thing. And candidly, I mean, given the fact that if they fire him because they say 
we believe this conduct was excessive and we believe it was contrary to rules of the police department on duty or off duty. Like I say, his remedy is always to come back and assume him and try to get his job back, although my guess is he has a lot of uh, other things and other issues that are going to be in his mind. You, you've got to make these decisions quickly because it is frustrating to the taxpayers to allow these things to draw on and on and on. That Fire and Police Commission should make a quick decision on this. The police chief should have made a quick decision on this. And I certainly understand in this case, and you can mark the tape on this, I understand where Tom Barrett is coming from. A lot of issues I don't agree with him on. This one, I think he's got every right to say, you know what, you know, this... We got somebody that's dead here. Looks like there's a clear violation of rules. They believe there's also a violation of the criminal law. Uh, we, we shouldn't be paying his salary. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Well, things are beginning to reopen, and, and it, it's a slow process. And, and part of the thing is, even if the government decides that a business can reopen, the, the business themselves, they have to figure out, okay, what, what are we going to do? How can we make people feel comfortable? Because nobody wants to get people sick, and nobody wants to get into a situation where you say, you reopened, and all of a sudden, you know, people came to our bar, people came to our restaurant, people came to our whatever, and and, and we're able to trace a whole bunch of COVID-19 cases, because that, apart, again, from whatever the government's going to do, that, that's going to kill the business. Now, we've talked a lot on this program about restaurants and bars, because that's something I think think a lot of people can relate to you know everybody at one point in time or another probably you know goes out for a beer or, or goes out and has has a meal and the restaurant operators are trying to figure out okay we, we can open up how can we bring people back in and how can we make them feel feel comfortable with that and i mean i've said this before I, i'm not hesitant going to a restaurant as long as the restaurant is doing what I think, you know, is being responsible, that as long as the restaurant is, you know, maintaining distances and things of, of the like, am I going to rush into a situation where you, you've got like 400 people piled into a building that seats 300 and be crammed five deep at a bar? No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, I, I'm if it's a restaurant I know and I like and there's space between the tables, would, would I go and sit and have a meal? Absolutely. There is a type of restaurant, though, that candidly, even though that, that's how I feel in general about wanting to get back and wanting to support businesses, there, there's a type of restaurant that I, I don't know what the future is going to look like. And that is, that's buffet restaurants. Um, I'm looking at a story that's out today, and, and the headline is, Are Buffet Restaurants in Trouble? After coronavirus reopening, our number 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's some restaurants out there that are, you know, c- completely like serve yourself, all you can eat buffets. They are extremely popular. There's all sorts of other restaurants that do things like, well, okay, maybe we're going to have a salad bar where people go up and they end up serving themselves. If you go to Las Vegas, like I like to do a couple times a year, that's one of the things that you find in almost every hotel. There is an all-you-can-eat buffet, which in large measure you're able to go and you're able to serve yourself from. And some are some are a little bit different. You know, you have to... 
I don't know, at the MGM where we stay a lot, they have a carving station where you don't carve the food yourself. You go and you say like a piece of ham or whatever, and they cut it off. But in general, you know, you, you walk through buffet lines, and you're touching the same pair of tongs that somebody else is touching, and you're helping yourself to the different food. And they've got sneeze guards and things like that, but you're still in close contact, and you're, you're serving yourself, generally speaking, with the same utensils that somebody else has used right before you. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's going to be a long time before people start going back to buffet restaurants, at least what buffets were before COVID-19. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you going to be hitting the salad bar? You're going to be hitting the buffet line anytime soon. And what's it going to take to get you to that point? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with uh, Brad in Neshkoro. Hi, Brad. Hey, how's it going? Real well, thank you. Okay, what's the future of buffets moving forward? You know, I really do not know. Actually, you know, I'm a food service manager at a conference center in Green Lake, and uh, we pretty much are based off of a buffet type of system. And, you know, we we, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, uh Honestly, no one wants to go to conferences anymore. No one wants to go to buffets anymore. It's just the you know it's all up in the air. Yeah, I um and, and, and no, and I, I think it. I mean, I think it's going to be a, a challenge. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate. it. I mean, I think it's going to be a challenge moving forward because again, I I I like to think of myself as a reasonable person. I'm not. Again, I, I know that there are people out there who and who have said they're, they're they're not going out in public. They would never go into a restaurant until there's a vaccine or or whatever, and and that's fine. I respect that. That's not me. I mean, I, I'm not willing to shelter in place that much. At the same time, I, I'm trying to balance that out. To me, it's it's all about what type of risk is reasonable. And to me, I think there's a difference between going into a, a restaurant where you're apart from people and you're going to be served. There, there's a difference between that and, and piling into a, a, a bar where you're five or six deep, like on St. Patrick's Day. The, the buffets are, are kind of a challenge. I don't think there's any question about it. I'm not hesitant going into a restaurant would I be hesitant going and handling the, the same food service items, for example, that somebody else has just handled? Well, yeah, and I'm not really a germaphobe, but I, I just I would be reluctant. And if I would be reluctant, I think a lot of people would be reluctant. Zach in West Bend. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi. Real well, thank you. What do you think? Okay, so I work at a, uh, at a West Bend pizza ranch. Um, Mm-hmm. And what we are doing is uh, we are, we are going to be doing a cafeteria-style pizza ranch, right. meaning that we're going to have blast shields kind of like over the buffet so that, you know, no, you know you can see the food, but you can't touch it. And then we're going to be serving it. You know, we'll have, like, gloves on. We'll make sure that, the, uh, that everything is, uh, right. you know, sanitized and everything down. So I feel like, you know, um, if all the other buffets, you know, go and corral and, and other things, or to do something like that, I feel like it would kind of ease the minds of, you know, other people, mm-hmm. 
uh, for going into buffets because, you know, they still need to make, you know, their money so that they can pay the mortgages and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? I I do. I kind of wonder, are they going to have to add... I, I, I've never been in a pizza ranch, I'm sorry, but I, I mean, a, a lot of the, the places that do the buffets, they're used to, a lot of the stuff is kind of like standalone things, so it's not manned. Are they going to have to, like, significantly rejigger the design of, of the building to allow for that kind of cafeteria-style service that you're talking about? Um, in a way, yes. Uh we're going to have, like, uh, arrows and stuff kind of, like, pointing into the direction of which way we want everyone to go so that there's kind of a constant flow of things. The most difficult right. part, in my opinion, is the Coke machines. Now, we got self-serve Coke yeah. machines, but we're not going to allow people to use that as, as well with the ice cream. So we're going to have, you know, more, what do you call it, waiters, right. waitresses, uh, bussers, right. or whatever, kind of, like, taking, taking orders and doing stuff for the people so that they can sit down like a dine-in restaurant right. in a way, but uh, still be able to, you know, order what or yeah. get what they want because it's a buffet and whatever they want for the price. Yeah. yeah. No, no, thanks for call. I appreciate it. See, and I think that's kind of what the, the future is going to be like. Like, it's the way it used to be. Okay, I, let, let me use the example of, of the buffet that I would go to on a regular basis, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. For, for years and years, what they would do is they would have the buffet lines, but when it came to drinks, they would have servers that would actually come out and you tell them what you wanted to drink, and then they'd bring you the drinks. Uh, in an effort to probably save money, what they did a couple of years ago is they went to all the self-service stuff. So you get your table, you you go up, and there's this uh, there's along the wall, they've got the soda machines, and they've got the orange juice dispenser, and they've got the coffee thing and the water thing, and you, you serve yourself. I, I think that's probably a thing of the past. I think, yeah, you're probably going to have to go to that model that he was just talking about where you, you bring in the extra servers. The the other thing, and I, I think it's it's probably correct, if you're going to see a return of the of the cafeteria, of the, the buffet dining, it's going to have to be that cafeteria-style thing. Like when you were a kid, where you, you kind of, you know, go, you, you put your tray and you kind of go down the, the thing and you, you tell servers what you want as opposed to you helping yourself. I, I think self-service salad bars are history. I, I just do, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, one of the other questions, and a couple texters are bringing this up, is what does this mean for supermarkets? I mean, you know, like the the supermarket right down the street from me, they've got at any given time, they've got a soup aisle, aisle and, and there's three or four soups and a chili, and what you do is you, you serve yourself. You know, you put it in a container to take it out. A lot of, you've got the hot case um, where, you know, you're the one they've got on Fridays, they put out the, the fish, and you go and you put like three things of fish, you know, into your little styrofoam container, and you go. I, I think that stuff is history. I think what's going to have to happen is you're going to have people that, you're going to have to make that commitment to again, redesign the stores or the restaurants to provide for that, and then you're going to have to add extra people. And I guess that there's a cost to that, and does that make it cost prohibitive? 855-616-1620, Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Paul. Can you hear me, Jeff? Yep, I, go ahead. Yep, gotcha. Okay, yeah, many years ago, I was actually on a very large cruise ship. Um, I don't know if I can say the name, but um, that's one of the joys of eating. But you could not reach and help yourself. You pointed to what you wanted. You can have as much as you wanted. But they had the windows in front, and you just went down the line, and they made sure that you washed your hands. They made sure the hand sanitizers were used before you even went into that dining room. And I have a feeling that's where things are going to have to have to um, 
you know, become a reality for everybody down the road with this kind of a yeah. service. Yeah, no, I, no, thanks, Nicole. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it, at least for the foreseeable future, you know, that's that's what it's going to have to be. And, again, I'm, I'm thinking of some, I mean, there's some buffets in Las Vegas where even though they do have standalone stuff, a, a lot of a lot of the things, that they, they do have the way it's set up is that you, you ask, hey, I, I want this and I want that. You can have whatever you want but and however much of it you want, but you have to ask for it. I think that's going to be the way of, of the future, but it's it's going to be different. And it's going to be different for a long time, just like, you know, after 9-11, air travel got different. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, what's going to happen? Are buffets dead? Well, I, it, at first I, I, I thought yes, but, you know, if they're big enough and that's their sole business model, I think they can adapt. What's really going to be tough is the what I'm calling the tweeners, the ones that you go to a pizza place and on, on Wednesdays they have a, just the pizza buffet where you go up and get one in the bar area or whatever. Yeah. Or you go to any hotel in the morning, they have that breakfast brunch. You know, what's going to happen to those? They're not going to staff that, you know, that type of thing. And then they have, um, you know, then you have the weddings and you have things like that, yeah. that or uh, Sunday, Sunday brunch. Just about every Sunday brunch is is always, you know, buffet style, you know, and then you get to Mother's Day or whatever. But those right. are the ones that are going to have a difficult because they can't make the financial commitment because it's not their primary business model. And I think that's right. going to be the that's going to be the, the tough. We got to sit down and have a meeting there thing, and, you know, they're going to have to make some changes or, you know, or forego yeah. it. And I, I just I got a funny feeling that's all going to be gone. I don't think you're going to see a lot of that. I mean, you, you you go to bars. I mean, you go to just about any bar, especially some of the smaller ones. Every night they have some sort of like, taco night or, you know, Bill oh, Jones yeah. tacos or whatever. You know. Oh, yeah. You can't yeah. that. You know, so, I mean, it's well, going to be well, gone. right. No, no, thanks. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I, the, thanks for calling that. I mean, the... Um, there's a there's a I call it a dive bar and it's I, I say that with affection. The, the owner passed away a while back. He said, "You call my place a dive bar." I, I, it's I, I I love it. I say that with affection. I, I like dive bars. There's there's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's a couple of my golfing buddies and I will will go there. And during the Packers season, you know, sometimes you know we'll we'll go and watch a Packers game there. And what they do at at halftime is they they put out a spread like bars do. And then sometimes they order pizza. You know, sometimes they have sloppy joes. Whatever. It, it's kind of a serve yourself thing i just i just think that stuff is history i i just don't see how how moving forward they're going to be able to do it and dave is absolutely correct you know it's it's one thing if that is your business if you are mgm and you know you you run the buffet you can say okay look we're going to make this investment here and we're going to go back to having the servers that bring you the drinks we're going to move away from the self-service stuff and what we're going to do is we're going to redesign our buffet lines so that we have people that are actually serving you. Okay, you want some scrambled eggs here? I'm going to give you the scrambled eggs. You want some bacon? Here's the bacon. You can redo that if, if that's kind of what your business model is going to be moving forward. But he's exactly right. For some of the places that are the the sit-down restaurants who do the Sunday brunch, I just the, the, the serve-yourself things, it's going to be a long time, I think, before people feel comfortable enough. Now, I mean, the, the alternative to the brunch thing is that, 
well, you know, you just you, you have the wait staff there and the waiter, you tell the waiter or the waitress, the server, you know, what it is that you want and, and they bring it to you. But it's it's going to require some thinking and it's definitely going to be different. There's no question about it. Um, here's a text, Jeff. Um, Quick Trip this week just started allowing self-service drinks again. Likewise, the self-service donut case. Huh. Interesting. Um, Jeff, I traveled for 30 years depending upon self-service breakfast and mid-price hotels. I can't imagine that going away. Yeah, I mean, think of all the, the, the different places that you stay at, and that's one of the big things. Hey, we have the continental breakfast, and, and you go down, and they, they put all the stuff out there. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's, it, clearly, it's a huge selling point, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're at a point where you got people that just don't feel comfortable going out and going into places without wearing masks. How, how comfortable are they going to be, again, queuing up and, and picking up the same set of tongs that the person right in front of them picked up and using that to reach in and then, like, like touch the stuff, not to mention the people that don't use the tongs and reach in and grab that muffin, you know, with their fingers or something like that. I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. All right, let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. It is a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous Wednesday afternoon. And it sounds like it's finally going to start getting a little warmer around here. That is absolutely outstanding. You know, I, I just I'm, I'm starting to realize how around the Wagner household, how how you know how I rate in comparison to other people. For a lot of people, that the shutdowns over the course of the last two months have been just catastrophic. I I, I understand that people out of work, um, people who might not have jobs to go back to, the various health considerations, all that type of stuff. And for others of us, it's it's an inconvenience, and that's what this has been. I mean, I'm working from home, I'm broadcasting from my upstairs office and all, but the one thing, and again, acknowledging it as an inconvenience as opposed to anything else, the one thing over the course of the last couple months that I really missed was I wanted to get my hair cut, and I've been talking about that, it's just kind of like driving me crazy, and so one of the things, one of the reasons, I'm glad that people are getting back to work, I'm glad that the economy is going to start regenerating, I trust people in general to do the right thing, but I'm also glad that I'm going to be able to get my hair cut, so, you know, salons, barbershops starting to open up again. Matter of fact, the person that I go to, I think today was was her first day. Um, I've got an appointment for tomorrow, which, okay, tomorrow morning, looking forward to that. I'm going to be there. But it's interesting. My wife was able to get her hair cut today. Our, Our dog was able to get groomed today. And I, of course, I think for the first month of this, made no sense to me at all that Governor Evers was ordering dog groomers to stay closed. I mean, it just made absolutely no sense at all. And that, that's been one of my biggest beefs about these shutdowns and picking essential businesses versus non-essential businesses when the whole question to me should have been, okay, by leaving this particular business or that business open, do we substantially increase the risk that more people are going to get sick? And if the answer is no, then government shouldn't be forcing this business to shut down. You shouldn't force the independent jeweler to shut down when people can go across the street to Costco and end up buying a a watch. But regardless, now stuff is starting to open up. But again, the, the whole dynamic that's what's going on here is that the dog's been able to get groomed, my wife's been able to get her hair cut, and I'm I'm the last one in the Wagner family still kind of on the outside looking in. I mean, it shows you who rates. All right. 
serious issue. Um, after businesses started shutting down, the government rushed through an aid package which would provide an extra $600 a week to people who lost their jobs. I, by the way, supported this at the time and believed that it was the right decision because you had people who suddenly, out of the clear blue, through no fault of their own, were facing an economic catastrophe. And and people, I, look, I, I understand everybody says folks should have, you know, a few months of living expenses built up, but but. I understand the way the real world works as well, and that's just not the way it works for a lot of people. So, yeah, I thought the whole idea for people who suddenly lose their job, yes, I I think getting money into their hands as quickly as possible to let them buy food and let them pay rent and let them pay their bills, I thought that was important. And I understand from an economic standpoint there's going to be a consequence to that. You're printing money. The government's going further into debt. You have issues with that. But I thought the need to help people out overrode that. So I, I did not and do not um, oppose the, the whole idea of, of let's let's give extra benefits to people who have lost their job. Now, as we have talked about before, there is a problem with what's happened. And that problem is that for some people, not everyone, but for some people, by the time you add your unemployment check-in that you typically would get through the state, and you add that extra $600 from the federal government, the federal taxpayers in, you have people who are making as much, and in many cases, more money by being unemployed than they are by, by working. Right, And that's always a bad situation. We saw this a decade ago when there was the, the high unemployment rates. And so unemployment, which is typically like 26 weeks, it got extended to 52 weeks because there weren't jobs. And then in some cases, it got extended even longer than that. And what you saw is that there was a percentage of people, not everybody, but there was a percentage of people who just said, well, okay, as long as I'm collecting unemployment, what, why should I go back to work, especially if it if it's going to be close. If I can make a little bit less by not going back to work and just watching TV, well, that's why go back to work. In the case of this extra six hundred dollars, you have a larger number of people who actually have a disincentive to go to work. Now, I understand the way the rules work. You are not supposed to be able to refuse. If you refuse a job, then, then you lose your unemployment benefits. But at the same time, that means that puts a lot of burden on your employer. Your employer says, okay, Jeff, we're ready to bring you back. And you say, gee, I've kind of done the math, and I'm not in a hurry to come back, and I'd, I'd prefer not to. Okay, well, that then puts the employer in the position of then having to contact the state and say, offer this person his job back, and he didn't come. It, it's it's just it puts a lot of burden on there, and I know that there's employers who are reluctant to do that. I also know that there's a lot of employers out there who have said that one of the reasons they don't think they're going to be able to fully reopen for the next month or two isn't because necessarily of the government relations, the government rules, but rather their concern is that they're just not going to get their employees to come back because their employees, again, through the end of July, if you're on unemployment, you can continue to get that $600 a week extra from the feds. And so uh, there's a lot of employers who are just flat out saying, look, we're not, we're, we're, we're not even going to try to go back to full-time sort of stuff because we, we know how tough it's going to be to get the employees back. But right now, that government incentive, that extra 600 bucks, it expires at the end of July. 
And at that point in time, I think pretty much everybody who's lost their job is going to be scrambling to try to get, you know, back into the workforce. All right. The Democrats in Congress want to extend that program, the program that gives unemployed people an extra $600 a week. They want to run that essentially through January of 2021. They want to extend that $600 a week for another six months. The argument is, hey, you know, people have lost their jobs. Times are tough. We need to have the government help them out. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I did not oppose the initial extra $600 a week. I think it was something that needed to be done. All right, what about another six months? Essentially saying, if you're unemployed, essentially through the end of the year, the government is going to give you, well, $600 a week. Let's round up, say there's four weeks in a month. Government's going to give you $2,400 a month for the next six months. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For more reasons than I can tell you, I think it is a bad idea. I think it is unnecessary. And I don't think it's anything that the government should be considering at this point. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Crew is back at Radio City lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment extending the 600 bucks a week for another six months after the end of July. Good idea, bad idea. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Let me start off the conversation with one of our techs. Jeff, my family owns an employment agency. I have companies that want to hire people for $15 an hour. People are telling me they won't work because they make that on unemployment. There's little incentive to work for some right now. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the issues that are are out there. Jeff, so they want to extend the extra $600 a month, oh, it's actually $600 a week in unemployment benefits till January of 2021, but they keep talking about running out of Social Security. Um, older people can't go back to work um, when they don't get Social Security. These people are taking advantage of unemployment benefits, should all be going back to their jobs. Bad idea, did another text, to extend this. I have a retired neighbor who works part-time for extra spending money, helping out at local events that still aren't happening. He's now collecting that $600 a week unemployment bonus, which is way more than he'd be earning if working, and he doesn't even need the money. But, of course, he gladly accepts it. And I get it. If the government's going to send you money, you know, you know um, you're not going to send it back. Jeff, I make a little over $20 an hour. After all my deductions, I make less than the ones on unemployment. I've been working through this, putting my health at risk. Um, They should give it to everyone or to no one. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Patty in Elkhorn. Hi, Patty. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. What do you think? um, 600 bucks a week? I would love it. I'm an essential worker. Um, I drive sick people to medical appointments. I have a friend who's making over $700 a week unemployment. My um, wage has dropped down to about $200 a week. And I'm thinking I would rather have her job at this point than mine. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because you'd have $500 more in your pocket every week, and you wouldn't have to go to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. We took a drastic cut, and I'm just wondering how this is fair to the people that are putting their lives on the line or going to work every day full time. 
and other people are having to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, no, and, and the answer to your question in the short run is it, it's not fair. And I mean, again, I I understand why we did this in the beginning. And you wanna you you wanna help people who suddenly, through no fault of their own, find themselves unemployed and have no savings and are looking at just this this very very dark future. But but yes, it's not fair to you, and it's certainly moving forward. I, I think not fair to continue to reward people for not going back to work, especially if the jobs are there. Absolutely, and we can't just quit our job to collect that unemployment because we won't get that, you know what I mean, um, yeah. just by leaving Absolutely. your job. So it's just really very unfair. I think they need to really no. reconsider what's going on in this world right now. Thanks for the call, Patty. Now, 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 now I'm sitting here making these comments in, in what is, what's today? Today is May 20th. All right, now, it may be, I, I look, everybody who's looked into crystal balls when it comes to you know COVID-19 and this panic have – some predictions people have made have been right. Some people predictions people have been made have, have been wrong. You know, for example, in Wisconsin, you know, we, we were told that we, we needed to go through all these shutdowns because if we didn't, the hospital systems were going to be overwhelmed and there'd be this huge and, and you'd have all this devastation. That hasn't come to, to that hasn't happened. Now, maybe it's because we did the shutdowns. Maybe it's because the the, the pandemic was oversold. I, I don't know. Nobody nobody knows for sure. So maybe, you know, just maybe that, you know, two months from now, maybe at the end of July, you know, May, June, July, maybe 60 days from now, we'll be looking at, at an economy that ha- has not made any sort of comeback at all. And, you know, the, the economic devastation is such that there just won't be jobs for people to go to. And I don't think that's going to be the case, but, but maybe that is. So if, if in two months... When these benefits are about to run out, you know, we're looking at even higher unemployment totals and businesses aren't reopening and they're not bringing people back. And maybe you need to look at some form of an extension, maybe not 600 bucks a month, maybe a week, maybe it's $200 a week or whatever that number is. So you don't create an incentive for people not to go back to work. But if 60 days from now, okay, the circumstances are such that maybe we need to figure out some additional assistance slash bailout. Maybe we need to do something to, to actually help also the, the patties of the world who've been working through this and are, are getting shafted because they're, they're working and they're making lots less than people who aren't working. Okay, maybe in 60 days we need to take another look at this. And, and, and I think you have to be open-minded enough to, to say, okay, maybe that's going to be the case. But right now, to simply say, okay, we're going to extend this for another six months. You want to talk about something that's going to kill the economy. It's going to be something like that because you're going to have all these people who, just like the guy who texted us from the employment agency, who are just going to refuse to come back to work. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Sean in Manitowoc. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Well, well, thank you. What do you think? Okay, I think, okay, this is, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but for me, it's great because we were at 42 hours where I work. And they caught us last week down to 32. And I got contacted by the HR girl yesterday and says, everybody qualifies under the Wisconsin Share Program. So we're working 32 and we get $600 on top of our 32 hour pay now for the next however long this lasts. So wow. it's like, okay, so I'm working less hours, and I'm getting paid way more money. Okay. There, so. and there, 
you know, and look, I, I don't begrudge you, right? You see, and I, get me, don't get me wrong, Sean. I don't begrudge you that extra six hundred bucks a week. I, I don't, but there is no. there is something wrong. <laughs> there is something wrong about a system <laughs> that is having the taxpayers reward you for for right? not working as much. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So now uh, instead of a uh, three day weekend, I have a four day weekend. I love it. Yeah. No. Th- no. Thank. Thanks for calling. Appreciate. It. By the way, I'm not. I. You know. You are on the same wavelength. You at least. You at least understand the, this irony of this. It's um, years ago when I first started TMJ. I did six days a week. I, I, had a, I had a Saturday show. I did some of our lifestyle shows from ten till noon, and then I did my own show where we didn't have sports from noon to three. And after about seven years or so, I've been here twenty two years. I remember I get called into the general manager's office, and he says, "You know, we we've been thinking about this, and." We, you know, we, we kind of th- we think you paid your dues, and we're we're just h- how about Monday through Friday? You know, we're, you don't have to do the Saturday show anymore. And I remember saying, okay, let me get this straight. You're 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 going to be paying me the the same amount of money, and you're going to say I only have to work five days a week instead of six. And he said, yeah, that, that's kind of it. And I'm thinking, okay, do I have like morons stenciled on my forehead? And I said, of course, this is fine. <laughs> that's great. If you ever need anybody to fill in and come in and help, I'm glad to do it. But yes, thank you very much. No, that's the. That's the same sort of situation. Let me get this straight. You're cutting back my hours, but the way the system works is you're, I'm going to qualify for $600 extra a week, which more than makes up for the money I was losing. Huh. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I am happily back to work at a fine dining restaurant in Brookfield. Only six of us were willing to come back. I'll let you decide why the rest are not. And, of course, the answer is clear, because they make more money or almost as much money by not going to work as as they do going to work. And I understand it's human nature. I'm not ripping people who do it. But now you put the employer in the position of does the employer reach out to the state and, and risk alienating those employees by saying, hey, offer them their jobs back, but they decided they're not going to come, so now cut them off. I mean, that, that's just that, that's a whole other can of worms that you're opening up. But, I mean, I think that's telling. Yeah, we've got this whole staff. They're trying to hire people back. I was one of only a half dozen willing to come back. And, of course, the reason is because we've got the system that makes it incentive to stay at home. That's fine. Okay, and maybe you can live with that for the next six weeks. But do we really need to extend that for the next eight months? Give me a break. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Randy on the south side. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, okay, this already infuriates me, the fact about the 600 a week, because I'm. it's a, a real story here. I drive truck. I've got some 10 people uh, at our company, local company, that are laid off right now, and they're pretty much making twice as much money as me, and I'm out here going to work every day, going into no less than 20 uh, businesses a day, you know, risking exposure, and these guys are sitting at home uh, making essentially twice as much money as me. And if they extend this, my seniority is yeah. such that, okay, I'm not one of them 10 people that got laid off. Well, if this gets pushed through to the end of the year, I'm going to see if I can use that seniority to bump myself <laughs> on the layoff list. Are you kidding <laughs> yeah, me? Exactly. Of course I'm going <laughs> to yeah. stay home for the rest of the year and make twice as much money as I'm making now. Are you kidding me? Thanks for the call, Randy. It's 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 a hell of a system. And, and again, I, 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 I understand. I'm, I'm not criticizing why we did this 
But you're you're exactly right. If we have an extra six hundred dollars a week to give away for the next six months, maybe what we should do is figure out a way to get that to the people who've been working. You know, especially at the the lower paying jobs over the course of the last I don't know couple months, who've been the, the essential workers who've kept us supplied with food and all the other things that we've needed. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.